0: You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law.
1: Hi, I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third year law student.
0: And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a Conversation. A Conversation.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Happy Thursday evening once again. We thank you for joining us after what I hope was a restful spring break for all of you that were celebrating. We're going to start today off with, of course, what is going on with our former president, Donald Trump. Um, If you haven't been even opening your phone or opening your news, I'm sure you're still aware that what's going on. Um, So I'm going to pass it over to the professor to give you guys some intel um, and give some background information about what's going on with our former president.
0: Okay. Thank you, Lana. Uh, Good evening, everybody. Yeah, it's uh it's very interesting how, you know, uh, even though the former president is out of office, uh he still has uh, a stranglehold on the news. <laughs> uh, it's a very interesting situation we're going through now because uh uh the situation with Alvin Bragg basically who uh is in charge of the pro- uh, of what will be the prosecution of Donald Trump when when this uh uh, case uh, eventually goes to trial. Uh, Alvin Bragg uh, had some hesitancy about bringing the case. This was a number of months ago, and uh, then the case was uh, then the case was revived by, uh, I guess, additional information that they got. Uh, but what what's really interesting now is the response of the uh, Republican Party, mm-hmm. um, particularly Kevin McCarthy and the people who are in the House of Representatives. Who basically are sending all kinds of uh, um, threatening missives at uh, Alvin Bragg? Um, they want to, uh, I suppose, depose him if that's such a possibility in, in this case, and basically, uh, you know, uh, are saying that the, uh, the investigation is illegitimate, and, and on and on and on and on. Um, that co- completely ties into what's going on in the state of Georgia, because in the state of Georgia, where uh, the the charges that uh, possibly may be the form of an indictment against Donald Trump and a number of other people are far more serious than this particular, particular case. case York, right. So what is the response to the fact that uh, uh, Fonnie Willis may in, in soon be bringing the information that she gathered from the first grand jury to the second grand jury with the possibility of indictment? Well, the, the response has been basically a... A law that is awaiting the governor's signature in Georgia, where basically the legislature can remove the prosecutors <laughs> from particular cases, or remove the prosecutor in some cases permanently uh, uh, from from where they're where they're seated because they don't like the particular case that the uh, prosecutor is is, is trying. Now, all of these uh, 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 attacks on democracy and attack on the justice system and attack on the legal system uh, have also been used by uh, Ron DeSantis down in Florida, where he removed uh, one of the prosecutors in one of the counties because uh, Ron DeSantis did not like the discretion that the prosecutor was using uh, in, in selecting what cases he wanted to prosecute. Uh, from having been in the justice system myself for a number of years, um, if you really prosecuted every person who who violated every small law, uh you There'd know There'd
1: be no justice, it's just too much can't happen. It, it it's would, an impossibility. It's
0: an impossible. it's an impossibility. But what we're seeing now, we're seeing a three pronged effort to really undermine our justice system and undermine our democracy. The first part of that is the ex president who basically uh uh debunks the whole justice system uh, takes no responsibility for what he's done. Uh, basically, uh, insults uh, the the prosecutors. Uh, claims that there, there's a, it's racist that they're they're investigating him. So that's one part. That's the executive part. The second part, of course, is is the judicial part, where he's used the justice system. To basically uh delay 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 uh suppress
1: votes uh, uh, s- right s- i mean it' it goes further than just right here right now this yeah. is he's been using the judicial system to undermine democracy since his presidency
0: absolutely and and now and now uh, in addition to the uh, the situation in the judicial system um, he's also uh, uh involved with the legislatures in these various states who support him well, what's interesting about what's interesting about all of this is uh Jack Smith, who's the prosecutor for the Justice Department, is moving this thing along at a very quick rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, uh, I, I would say imminently, we're going to see the testimony of uh, of, of Corcoran, who was the attorney for Donald Trump, uh, in front of the grand jury. Uh, the interesting thing that was posed last night by, by one of the commentators was, uh, why did it take Jack Smith to do all this Uh, uh, speed it up process when it's been a number of years for these people to investigate and why has the Justice Department lagged so far behind uh, the, the the prosecutor in New York and particularly the prosecutor in Georgia. I'll throw this over to you because I don't know why.
1: No, I, I I don't have an answer either. I mean, you just have to think that there is enough people that are unwilling to want to shake the boat and knowing that mm. this is receiving a lot of backlash. I mean, if you have been watching or reading or anywhere online seen you know, and people don't even, you know, a grand jury indictment, this is going to be decided by a grand jury. This is not some omnipotent Joe Biden decision where we're going to throw Trump in prison. I mean, this is, he has to go through Due process right he's going through the court system a grand Mm. jury would have to decide that there is enough evidence to secure an indictment and i think that's somehow getting lost in translation Mm. where uh, the narrative is just biden's throwing trump in jail for a Mm. lot of just middle america that seems to be the general consensus um so i think people people knew that going into Mm. this so i think for jack smith he was the one willing to take the the brunt of it right Mm. willing to bear the burden for for lack of a better term um but I, i just yeah, it's mind-boggling that it did take this long, and let's hope that we keep moving at this pace so that we are not somehow obstructed by one of the myriads of tactics I feel mm-hmm. like he could use uh, to to try to get out of this.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting how uh, this is a man, Jack Smith, basically who uh, was in the Justice Department for a number of years. Um, they went over to um, he went over to the Hague. To work on as a war crimes prosecutor, wow! And um, th- they're bringing him in here. So you know, with all due respect to Jack Smith, and I'm sure he's a, a, a you know, I highly well intentioned person. Where were all the people in the United States that they had to bring this one, one guy, guy in because nobody else wanted to take to this it. to take this on? Mm-hmm. Is that what is Cowardice. that what they're saying? Yeah, is that? I rumors? mean, it's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So that that's how we that's how we begin our uh, we begin our program uh uh, uh this evening and uh, we uh have two really disturbing cases that uh have happened over the past week to 10 days uh one in New Jersey one in the state of Virginia regarding um, people who are mentally ill and uh the response of the authorities to to those two people which um should have been handled uh i probably by mental health professionals uh, but was handled by the the police because, what have yeah. yeah and of course it 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 went the way it's gone so many times before right. uh, both of these uh both of these uh men were killed uh in one case in one case uh um uh, apparently the defense for the police uh killing the uh, person was that the person was lunging at them with a knife. Uh, so I think that still remains to be determined vis-a-vis, you know, the particular circumstances of that case. But in the second case in Virginia, they have a video. Mm-hmm. I think it runs 11 minutes of this man who was in shackles and um, a number of a number of five, six, seven, I don't know how many members there were, subduing this man who was laying on the floor and of course, the man expires, as you would imagine. Um, and they've uh, they've been charged with uh, with second degree uh, murder. The, the, these individuals. Wow! All five. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the question I have, of course, is um, why was that necessary? Um, but second of all, how are they trained? What is the yes. training that these people get? Because yep. clearly, the
1: problem goes hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when. You'd receive no training. You're left with the whatever preconceived notions you had of mentally ill people prior, whether that have been television, whether that have been through mass media, whether that have been usually it was not good, right? I think the representations of mentally ill people that people see commonplace are not awesome. Um, And I think when you have preconceived notions about mentally ill people that they're capable of terrible things, that they're scary, that they're X, Y and Z, um, and then you don't train people that they mentally ill people are not that way. And that's not the vast majority of what's going on. um, Of course, you're going to have people that view Um, people with mental illness negatively and view demonize them almost. Probably not almost. They do demonize Mm -hmm. them. Um, And then you don't have the training to then um, change that mindset and you don't have the changing to then um, reorient the thinking about how to handle those things or who those people really are at their core. On top of that, we have a terrible problem with medicating and how we handle that and medication versus therapy versus, you know, how how we do things, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I think so much of the solution in, uh, especially when you're talking lockdown, intense m- mental health facilities, mm-hmm. like I believe the one you're talking about mm-hmm. in this case, a lot of the times the answer is just to subdue them and these glorified tranquilizers are given to these mentally mm-hmm. ill people and then that creates a whole another set of tension yeah. because you're really treating the underlying illness or you're trying to keep these people subdued. Um, so then I don't think there's a lot of active care or active Mm. therapy or active um sort of reconciling the disease with who we want Mm. that individual to be i don't think that's happening in a lot of these institutions part of it that is funding part of that is training Mm. um so i just think you've got a huge cluster when you're talking about mental health in america and then you know when those things all reach a precipice this is what we're going to see we're going to see death um Mm. because when you have this many systematic institutional failures within how we treat people that are mentally ill of course people are going to die
0: of course yeah no it's 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 disturbing to say the least, and okay. of course it's 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 also disturbing because uh, both of the uh, 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 people who were who were killed were both people of color. Of course, because so, you know, right,
1: because it, it, then you see that they have if you don't have the problem already where you're seeing mentally ill people that way then you have these untrained people that are inherently racist so you have the racism problem compounded Mm -hmm. with the problem that they're mentally ill this is not it's horrifying but not shocking right disappointed but not surprised and I then you see that the vast majority of the little white kids are getting their Adderall they're getting their prescription Mm -hmm. they're getting their Vivance, they're getting their Xanax they're getting their treatment Um, is that the same in all communities of color we see study after study coming out that black people are disproportionately Unfortunately, um misdiagnosed in medicine Mm -hmm. um underdiagnosed in medicine Mm -hmm. their pain isn't taken at face value so of course then you're compounding all of those issues that are inherent to the medical field with the same issues that are inherent um in mental health treatment and facilities so uh, not shocking but horrifying nonetheless
0: yeah 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 so yeah so uh, bouncing off from that to uh a very interesting program I saw on uh, Sunday night on MSNBC called The Recall.
1: Mm -hmm. And it
0: had to do with the judge who was uh, involved in the sentencing of Brock Turner. Oh. And uh,
1: for those of you who don't know, Brock Turner uh, is the Stanford rapist. This was several years ago. um, And he received, it was like six months, three mm -hmm. months. I mean, something just totally egregious for what was a brutal, brutal sexual assault and rape.
0: Yeah. And it, it was interesting because uh, the program w- was had both the uh, uh, defenders and the uh, opponents of the judge. The judge was recalled. The judge was recalled. Uh, so the question is then uh, 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 was that proper on the part of the electorate to remove him? Uh, and you had, bo- you had both sides to it. Uh, he, he was sentenced to six months uh, and he served three. He served free for good behavior. So then, he, and then he was out. And um, to me, as a well, as a human being, not as a man or, or, or whatever, uh, the sentence was completely insufficient. Um, I I believe that um, people who commit crimes like this, um, you have to uh, have severe penalties that the law has to enforce. Um, In this case, there were so many factors uh, that mitigated against the light sentence.
1: Uh, Right. I mean, just very plain and simply. The idea that you could rehabilitate a brutal rapist in three months on good behavior is ludicrous.
0: Well, I I I don't think... If think- we
1: believe our judicial system is rehabilitative, yeah. we don't, but
0: yeah. well, if that, we did. <laughs> well, that, that that that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it, I think, was in a sense, well, we can't let him go, but let's do the, give him the minimum, and then he'll go back to what his life was. But the problem is that the person who was harmed won't go back to their life. Ever. And that's why, and I think it's, I, I've, I've said this before in regards to like a child abuse cases, uh, I, I don't believe, I don't really believe in the statute of limitations because there's no statute of limitations for the suffering of the people who have been harmed. And I think it's, I really think it's a societal uh, 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 deficiency that we allow these things to continue when we allow these people to... To basically walk around and 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 and, and not be uh, not be judged uh, for what they've done, and I think it's all. It also creates an attitude uh, among certain members of our society that it's okay to abuse women and it's okay to do these things because hey, look at this guy. You know, basically he didn't. He basically got no time. Right. And and, uh, and 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 you know i I can, I can do the same thing you you know you could you could talk about this far better than i am from the woman's perspective but
1: Um, No, I mean, this was the the Brock Turner case was so many years ago. Right. I think we just see the same thing over and over again where men receive slap on the wrist. If not, I think it's changing a little bit. I think the Me Too movement helped a little bit with that. And I think um, talking about it has become a little bit more um, commonplace. Um, I agree with you in that there should be no statute of limitations. I think we're moving in that direction again, thanks to the Me Too movement. And you want to thank all the women that sort of got us there because the Brock Turner days, this was very different. And it was sort of the first big shock to the world that someone could get a slap Mm. on the wrist for something so horrendous but now because of the me too movement we see that that happened all the time to all sorts of women common common commonplace so i do want to throw out there that i do think it's better um that i do think is a great no but i from what i've seen even in the past 10 years as Mm. you know a woman in society it's i would be more likely to report now than i would have been back when the brock turner thing happened so i think that's. i think we're moving on right i think we're getting better day by day by day um
0: yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's don't a, want to keep
1: it all doom and gloom, yeah, right? No, we we have battle. come somewhere.
0: It's about you know it was it was, uh, was reading in the yesterday's paper about what they have going on in Britain mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> with the police department, which makes our police force vis-a-vis uh, treatment of women look humane. Right. I mean, just like total disregard for any kind of decency and uh, 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 correct behavior. Um, but I think, uh, and I've said this about the uh, the police before. Uh, I think there's an indoctrination of us versus them. Mm-hmm. That I think it it goes beyond mm-hmm. it, it goes beyond race even or or sex.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very astute. It, it, we we are the arbiters of peace and law, and yeah. they they are the plebs, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's I think that's right. But you know, just just, just going back to what you said uh and you you could possibly talk about this for a couple of minutes because uh it, this was a film that uh, moved me very much, which was uh, Women Talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so the professor had, uh, go see Women Talking, see Women Talking. And I want to, you know, I hate praising Jeff Bezos, but he did put a, a whole slate of Academy Award nominated films up for free um, to watch if you're an mm-hmm. Amazon Prime. And I don't know if they still are, but a, there's a huge collection of them. And mm-hmm. I would encourage anybody listening to go ahead and take advantage of that because those films were otherwise very expensive to access. So mm-hmm. I did get, because of Jeff Bezos, uh, uh, get the option to go see Women Talking. Talking. And uh, this movie, um, for those of you that don't know, and without sort of spoiling the vast majority, is is about the idea that of women coming together and escaping sort of a horrendous situation, or deciding whether or not escaping that horrendous situation is going to be the the choice that they make. Mm. Um, and and I found it, um, I found it interesting and, and also heartwarming is the wrong word because the movie is so dark and intense and horrifying. But, um, the idea that something could be entertaining. This is a grayscale movie. This is a movie that mm. is. You see men very... But it is just a bunch of white women in a grayscale room for the vast majority mm. of the shot it, and to be so entertaining and captivating and to have such a connection with characters um, I it, not only do I think it needs to bring m- more women into film, into directing and have more mm. women based movies which I, I've talked about You know, um, the professor taught a class um, about law, morality and ethics in film and I had found that so many of those films um, about law and about morality did not capture women well or mm. did not even sometimes capture mm. women at all um, and to have a movie like this that is so about ethics and morality and doing Mm. the right thing be completely based on women talk about passing the Bechdel test this Mm. I mean Mm. this movie was just so um, yeah moving Uh, I do think that should be added that this was based on a true story too that this wasn't just something some horrendous you know figment of a woman's imagination Mm. this is something that was real life that happened Um, and I think it speaks to the horrors of religion but that's a whole different conversation the the thing I got most from that is that we can make movies that are deep and dark and women centric and they Mm can be entertaining Mm -hmm. and they can be well-written and they don't have to be about, you know, Female, the female beauty or female, you hmm. know, doing. I mean, because it was about sex in a way, but not in. It, it was so much more about the relationships right. between strong women than it was about right. the sexual aspect. And yeah, I think yeah. that that's so important: relationships yeah. with strong women being depicted on film in a way that is not mm-hmm. boring, in a way that does not seem contrite, in right. a way that isn't a Lydia Tarr kind of situation. Right, I just, right, yeah. I, I think we're we're aching for more films like this as right. a society, and I'm glad that the Academy recognized this mm-hmm. film for what it was as well.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was what was interesting. When you see the film, which I hope everybody does go see, is that uh, you have the women and you have the, the the different approaches that each of the women takes. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, the unusual cinematography and how, right. and how the film was shot was so different as well. So when you throw all those things in... Um, it's it, it, it's a very timely it's a very timely and, thing and I, I do
1: appreciate the one man in that in that film that did have a lot of screen time you know the teacher mm-hmm. he he was um docile almost more docile than the women and mm-hmm. he spoke less than the women mm-hmm. did and had less of a and granted he knew that was his his role in his job but I, you appreciate a movie where mm-hmm. a, the man by his own volition not forced kind of takes a back seat and let's let let's the women talk i, I appreciated that movie yeah, for what it was well, very well, much
0: yes and we we hope everybody will go see it um uh, now on to something that you know sort of troubled me uh having to do with the alaska oil drilling situation which which we haven't discussed before and uh, after many protestations to the contrary uh, president biden is going to go ahead with this project uh, my question is this though from a from a from a purely uh, economic mercenary point of view okay let's leave out environmentalism right. and any rest of this stuff will this project will this project finally allow us to be energy independent
1: no. <laughs> um but we can right we could hope right, right. but no um i I don't have any other answer than other than a fundamental mistrust in everybody involved. Um, but no, no.
0: I but I asked I asked that question because we have the oil. We do. You see, this is the thing. What's very fascinating. They they had a a, 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 a study of Aramco, the, the mm-hmm. Saudi based oil company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their profit last year. Oh, can't even imagine. One sixty one billion. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, right. we have the resources, yes. though. See, this is the thing. Why aren't the resources that's, being developed?
1: And then the job creation. And those oil rig workers, that's, not, that's pretty penny. I mean, that's yeah, a decent make, job. Yeah, a decent
0: job, sure, sure. And what's interesting, what's interesting, what we're seeing now, in, in, in particularly in the Northeast, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts, and Maine, uh, people under tremendous financial stress.
1: Factories shutting down. Uh, people losing those big corporation I I, I, factory jobs. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and and one of the major problems uh, is the is the cost of heating oil, mm-hmm. and uh, the cost of heating oil. Basically, uh, although although only uh, I think five or six percent of the people in the country who use uh, use heating oil still. Um, Forty seven percent use it in these states. Wow. And nobody wow. Can, and nobody and nobody can afford, afford it. it. So basically the people who are making, say, thirty to fifty thousand uh, dollars are basically uh scrounging on everything so they can pay the they can pay the heating oil bill. bill. Uh and of course, um the other aspect of it too, like, um which, you know, because people in, in our society are very uh, disenchanted with our institutions, right. um, that you have the president, you know, it's, it's saying a number of times that he wasn't going to do this, and he goes ahead and completely reverses Versus himself. You know, and we could we could we could bounce we could bounce right from that and and uh, talk about uh, the banks. That's another <laughs> major disturbing issue um, right
1: and i think there's there's this trepidation about reporting the reality of what happened mm. with so many of these banks at for fear of everybody running to you know their local bank at wells fargo to their mm. u.s bank pulling pulling their money out yeah. you know um and, and the reality of it is is this was a series of really bad mistakes by in individual I, I, people acting as a group but mm. you know at the end of the day um they they made risk averse choices that ended up costing which is shocking. You make the Mm. risk averse choice with so much of your Mm. liquid income and then you end up bankrupting people essentially. But I, I do think, um, the panic maybe is, um, understated. I think Mm. maybe we should be a little bit more panicked. Mm. And I think that the actual reporting on this has been lax and has Mm. been, um, sort of skirting around because it's, it's hard to find what really happened or to have somebody explain it concisely or to look and find a resource that tells you what happened. And I think that's by design.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, I, I listen a lot to NPR, mm-hmm. and they have a guy by the name of Kai Rizdal. Okay, he he's on. I guess around six o'clock out here in Vegas every Monday, oh, wow. okay. Monday through Friday, and he's the financial reporter. Mm-hmm. And the guy is he's like a surfer type almost. It's like you know, like uh, you can imagine Patrick Swayze, right, uh, <laughs> from from Breaking Point. You know, doing the financial yeah, news. Right. But he, he's he's highly informed about this, and, and but as you listen to him, like the, 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 you know, from having done it all these years, and I used to listen to him when I was back east. People who cover this stuff are very jaded, because they know basically that people aren't being told the, the truth. truth yeah. Now, in this case, the case with the bank in, in uh, Silicon Valley, they had a number of warning signs. This was not like something that just happened all at once. But it also illustrates, it also illustrates how tenuous our financial system could be mm-hmm. because now with social media and the methods of communication that people have, in ye olden days, maybe 100 people would go right. to the bank. Right. Now you got a whole lot of people going to the right. bank and. And Sometimes uh, don't
1: even have to go physically. It's so all yeah. on the phone. You can put a check in your bank account yeah. from your bed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the other interest, the other interesting thing about it, of course, is that uh, you know uh, Chase now uh, says that they need to, you know, more money needs to be given to these banks, which makes you wonder, <laughs> wonder. how much money did they really lose? lose. Yep. A- and it's amazing. Like one of the banks had like two hundred billion dollars in the bank. How do you go through all that money?
1: Right. On what? Uh, on where? Uh, yeah.
0: Where did it go to? Yeah, yeah. Well a lot I think a lot of it was I think a lot of it was uh uh betting on this currency thing. The this crypto. cryptocurrency which which was right. which became a, you know, like a phobia with people. Right. And you know, the 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 uh um uh, uh, the gentleman who was uh, probably gonna be in prison for a while who <laughs> <laughs> was arrested. Um He might only be the tip of the iceberg. Oh,
1: he's one of. You know. Yeah, one of a, a yeah, that's several a, a, criminal a, 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 enterprises a, yeah. that are going on in the crypto space, that, that, for sure. was, that, was,
0: that was going on. You yeah, know? no,
1: I, I wouldn't yeah. doubt that. So yeah. hopefully next week when we continue the show, we will have a little bit more update about what was going on with our former president. Mm-hmm. As we record here, things are still very much in flux, and where mm-hmm. we're not so sure how that's going to mm-hmm. end up playing out. But hopefully when you tune in next week, we will have any some more updates. As always, we would love to receive any questions, comments, or concerns you have about the show. Uh, I can I can take those at my email, which is W. W e t h e l, number one at UNLV. Nevada. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you all again next week.
0: Thank you and good night.
1: Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at weather One. That's W E T H E L One at Nevada. Unlv. Edu, or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C H A R L E S. That's Charles. Stanton. S T A N T O N at unlv.edu. See See you you next time. time.